Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast, Latin, U.S., Spain, and worldwide. Why not? I'm your host, Xavier Basáñez, Managing Director for Latin in Alcott Global. For me, it's a great pleasure to present today my friend Robert Van Troijen. Robert is the Senior Vice President, Head of Latin America at the Caribbean in AP Mueller Mars. He previously has been served as a Senior Vice President, Head of Asia Pacific Region for five years and also spent his first time also in Panama as a Vice President Mars in line head of, of Latin America and the Caribbean region. Previously, he has been doing some time in United Arab Emirates as a Vice President Mars Line, Head of West and Central Asia Region, coming from Denmark as a Vice President Mars Line, Head of Latin America and Trade Management. And previously, and other roles, he performed several management roles in Hamburg, South, Zealand, and eight years in Neloy in England, Hong Kong, South Korea, Brazil, and Netherlands. So he's a trotamundo, as we say in Spanish. Welcome, Robert, for the podcast. Thank you, and thanks for inviting me. A real pleasure to talk to you. Perfect, Robert. So let's start talking about your, your expertise and your initial career in how, how you started your career in Neloy, in Holland, in Netherlands. And how do you, you like the, the logistic work? Tell, tell us a little bit about it. So, so I actually have to go back to, to my youth. Uh, in the early part of my father's career, he was actually sailing ships for some years. And then he joined Philips Electronics in Holland in a logistics role. So he inspired me to be uh, very much interested in global shipping and global logistics. And, and I also saw the shipping and logistics business as a, a way to get out of Holland and to, and to explore the world. And that certainly has come true. So I was in the university in Rotterdam in those days, and one of the big companies in Rotterdam and in Holland is, is Netloid in those days. And uh, that was a shipping and logistics group. So my, the obvious choice for me is to join the Netloid organization in Rotterdam and to learn about, about shipping and about logistics. So I started in the road transport uh, division, where I worked for a, a couple of years, and then I and I joined the line of shipping activities, which I thought was a, was a really interesting activity. And uh, like I said, that you know, this was always for young executives the the springboard to go abroad as an expat. So I thought shipping was uh, was the way to see the world, and I became an executive in uh, in, in Lloyd. And uh, like you said, my first expatriation, I was in my mid twenties. I was expatriated to Brazil uh, for a commercial role, and, and that's how, that's how it happened. Experience in in Brazil. I mean, just jumping the Atlantic. It's a very big experience in the new culture and in, in new people. How, how do you deal with that? It was in the beginning, of course, it was a big learning curve because being in a headquarters is something else than being in the front line and, and, and being commercially active. And also, I didn't speak a word of Portuguese before I yeah. came to Brazil, so uh, I had to learn from scratch. And But it turned out, you know, I, I met my wife there and we, we built our family there. So I've uh, oh, considered great. myself almost half Brazilian now. Okay, so that, that's that, that's fine. This is very hard to 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 move to another country, and learn a, a new language, and try to communicate, especially in the, in South American land, you know. And after that, doing the that 
journey of the business manager in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, you moved to Hong Kong. So there was a big, big jump to, to try to, to do something totally different, no? with a, a totally different culture and, and leading as, that region as a general manager. Totally little, little luck. So, yeah, so, so, so maybe I have to correct you. So actually the first posting after Brazil was South Korea. And ah, this okay. Was, uh, this was as a commercial boss of the of the South Korean organization, and this was in the middle of the of the economic crisis in Asia, you know, which which the Koreans refer to as the IMF crisis. So it was yeah. a very tough period for Korea, with a lot of big companies being affected. And uh, I was in that role for about three years, and then I was uh, asked to join trade management in Hong Kong. And in line of shipping business, uh, trade management is a you know is a big responsibility because you have a P and L responsibility and. Mm-hmm. And I was their responsibility. My responsibility was for all the trades between Asia Pacific and Latin America and Africa. So uh, wow. you know, doing, doing the network, negotiating partnership agreements between between the shipping lines. And uh, so this was also, again, a big learning curve. And of course, as you say, being based in Hong Kong, that was in uh, 97, sorry, in 2000. And, and that was also a big learning curve. And that was my yeah. first experience working in Asia. Yeah, definitely. And this is a very, very totally different experience to work from Europe, Latin America, and after going to Asia, no? This is very competitive fields, a, a lot of loads and, and shipments, companies. So this is a quite different strategy, no? To, Correct. To try Correct. To, to, to deal with the business, no? How, yeah. how you deal with that? So, of course, everybody thrives on the team. Nobody works by himself in a role, and, and I was blessed with a very capable team and, and, and the team that taught me a lot about how things work in Asia, and I must say, the one thing I see in Asia, the can-do mentality. So everything is possible, mm-hmm. nothing is impossible, and just get it done. And, and that's certainly what I, what I took as a, as a learning of, of working in Asia, which I've done uh, you know, several years in a row in total, almost 15 years in Asia, between the different roles and the different companies. So that's certainly been a, a, an important learning curve. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's just a very, as we say, this is another world, no? And after being there in, in Hong Kong and leading all the, that market, all the logistics, all the achievements, uh, you, you moved back to Europe, no? As a, in London, as a um, director for global head of network and planning equipment and flow management. How, how, how was that experience moving back to, to Europe? Well, that was a very, a very interesting time because I had joined the headquarters in April '05. And mm-hmm. a few months after I started the job, it was announced that uh, Maersk was buying Pinot Network. So basically, I was out wow. of the job as of that moment. Yeah. And I had oh, to see if I could get a job in Maersk or not. And thankfully, yeah. I, I did. So I was, I was one year in London, and then I moved to Copenhagen to the, to the headquarters of AP Miller Maersk. Okay. So yeah, that, that's very interesting. No? That's when we are in a company and someone buy the company that we are with, the first piece that we, we say is okay, I'm done. So, but uh, it's very interesting just to be able to join the, the, new, the new group and also leading with the people that you, you have in charge, no? because as a director of Global Head, for sure, you, you have a lot of people there in Deloitte and the people say, okay, we don't have more work. No? How do you deal with that? It's not easy, no? No. So the first thing we did is, is to try and make sure that, uh, that the P&O Netloid talent found a role in Maersk. And I'm proud to say that many of the people that we found roles for in Maersk uh, in those days 
are actually still with the company and doing doing very well. So oh. that's, taking care of people is always an important part during situations like that to make sure that that the new company benefits from the best of the previous companies as well, and also that the cultures are are compatible. Because uh, as always, one of the major successes of a of a merger or an acquisition is the blend of cultures. And taking the best of both companies sometimes makes the new company stronger. And that should also be part of, of an acquisition. You're not just acquiring assets, you're also acquiring a culture. You're acquiring customers. And those customers have chosen the company that you acquired for a reason. So understanding what that reason is, I think, is really important. And that's a role that I've uh, later on benefited from, that experience I benefited from working with Hamburg Zut, because, of course, that was an acquisition that MERS did uh, many years uh, later. But we'll get to that later in the discussion. Perfect. That, that, that's true. That, what, what you're saying is true. So having working with people, declaring uh, the culture, what we want to do, and especially the, the company that is acquiring or buying the other company, just looking for defining the culture, trying to looking for common point of views and, and looking for the right talent and, and try to to fine-tune that right, that right talent to the new culture that is the right type of merge. Because sometimes you see some example of companies buying another one and, and after it's a disaster, no? After the decision, because they don't have a real plan of fusion and culture with the, with the new people and the new company. That's right? Exactly. Perfect. Oh, that's, that's great. And how, how did you start in, in that new adventure with the new company, the new acquisition. Tell, tell us a little bit. So it was a new job that didn't exist before. And soon after the, the acquisition, it was a tough time in the company. Mm-hmm. Because let's just say the acquisition was, was a difficult integration. So I learned a lot during that period of time, adapting to the new culture of Maersk, but also mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to best make the, that work. And I stayed in the headquarters for around two years, being head of trade management for Latin America, as you say, as a vice mm-hmm. president. So that was my first experience in the headquarters, working with the senior leadership. And that was also a very important learning opportunity about how different companies manage activities in a different way and, and how to best adapt to a new culture. No, that, that's different. No? And, and doing that from Denmark in Copenhagen, that's right? That is correct. Yes, that's uh, the, the headquarters for Edwin Correct. Perfect, perfect. And after that experience, that for sure should be a very, very heavy one because it's just declaring a new culture, looking for new talents, setting new procedures, setting new regions sometimes of control of management. You were proposed or moved to Dubai in UA. So this is another totally different culture in, in, the, in the middle of the GCC, no? So tell, tell us about that experience in, in Dubai. Yeah, so as you correctly say, that was a very, very different uh, experience. Uh, uh, first of all, because I came in the middle of a reorganization where we merged uh, some of the regions. Uh, so before I came, Middle East was one region and then South Asia. So India, Pakistan, mm-hmm. Bangladesh was a different region. My first task was to merge those two regions into one, uh, reporting wow. into into my job. So um I knew I had never been, I'd been to Dubai maybe once before, and I'd been to India maybe once or twice before, but I didn't really know the markets at all or the organization. So my first job was to, to merge, as I said, set up a new regional team in Dubai, and then to merge the two regions. And then, of course, learning about the markets and, and about the customers, uh, particularly in uh, India, of course, a very large market of ours, and then uh, 
Middle East, Saudi Arabia is a big market. Pakistan mm-hmm. is, is and was a big market. So a lot of learning about the different cultures and about the different way of doing business. Also with our joint venture partners, because many of those countries were joint venture operations. So working with our joint venture partners to make uh, that business a success. How do you deal with the, the talent in the region? Because you, you, in that region, I also have been in, in Saudi, in the GCC, and it's a quite different talent, no? Why a different type of people, uh, as you say, uh, not, not only the Saudis or UAE people uh, or Arabic people, also you, you have a lot of Indian, Pakistanis, Bangladesh, and people from, from, other, from other countries, you know, working there in, in the GCC. Sometimes it's difficult, the communication, the language, point of view, everybody has a different type of processes, you know? So when you were there to try to merge all these companies, so it, it's not an easy task, definitely, and usually de- dealing with Indian, Pakistani, so sometimes you have some blockers there, in, in because they they want to do in, in their style so so for sure should for what's very hard to place the culture that you were trying to to implement as a as a merge company in dubai no can you tell us any any specific example of of, of that big challenge in, in maybe in the ports maybe in jebalali i don't know but something heavy could be there no No, so I, I will say that we were blessed with a large population of talent. As you say, many countries oh, in origin, uh, a, a lot of people from India, Pakistan working there. But actually, I would say quite successfully in our business. The one thing I will say is that before my time, it was essentially not possible to have female employees in the I same guess. office as male employees in Saudi. You're And right. We, we changed right. that. We changed Whoa. that. So the, the first female employees in, in Jeddah, Uh, were were employed in my time. My colleague who ran uh, ran Saudi, he slowly but gradually introduced that. In those days, of course, uh, the women sat in different rooms than the men. They could not be in the same yeah. room. Uh, mm-hmm. um, but slowly but gradually, we see that process changing. And now, actually, there's quite an established uh, talent pool, female talent pool, Saudi talent, working in our organization. So, uh, uh, actually, I take I don't take credit for that. My colleague in, in that was at the time working in Saudi takes full credit. But We sort of set, uh, set a little bit of history in terms of at least the MERSC organization being the first uh, that employed uh, women in the Saudi organization. And I, I have to give credit to my colleagues for that. Oh, that that's, that's great. That's great. And this is what's making a new, a new era for Saudis and specifically in Saudi Arabia because, I mean, the, the ladies couldn't could work at, at the offices. You know? So that was a very, very interesting time for sure and for, for sure. You get benefits of the of that having ladies and working in the company, giving another perspective, and and that that's just very very helpful for a, an organization. That's right. Yeah, and, and let me also add that that was 2009, so that was in the middle of the global economic crisis post the Lehman uh, incidents and uh, and the economic collapse in, uh-huh. in in the U.S. etc. So of course the Middle East was deeply deeply affected by that. A lot of construction projects stopped working. Of course, the oil price was affected, so uh, so all of the Middle East had less to spend. So there was also that uh, situation at the same time, uh, and trade was affected through that, right? Uh, demand uh, reduced because of it, so uh, there was an economic storm going on at the same time, which provided with its own learning curve on that. But also that yeah. experience that certainly uh, uh, taught me a lot. 
yeah, definitely, definitely. That that being in, in GCC is a very interesting experience in, in terms of people, culture, and and how to develop a, a company and, and the services of the, of the company, and especially also in in Saudi because uh, it, almost everything is imported. Not for that in that time. Now they they have been developing more industry. No, but um, specifically in that time was too much stuff uh, coming from outside. No. Well, for, for a shipping guy, I would never say that too much stuff is coming from the outside, right? Because that's our bread and butter. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. And what about the from that you you moved to to Panama as a vice president for Latin America and Caribbean region? How, how was the moving? How was that experience moving to to Panama? Yeah, so so I took over the role as the head of Latin America for Merce Line, so the ocean shipping activities only. And initially, that was headquarters in Sao Paulo. But then in 2012, I moved the headquarters from, from Brazil to Panama uh, because Panama was a much more uh, attractive uh, place for headquarters than Brazil at the time. So uh, moving from Brazil to Panama was, of course, a very interesting experience. I should say that I've never regretted uh, moving the headquarters. It's, it's been an excellent decision to have to be headquartered in, in Panama. And it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's easy to travel the region from here. So uh, So that was actually a very positive experience, both professionally and, uh, and, and also for the family. Yeah, definitely. No? There, there are a lot of companies, multinational, that have been placing their, their headquarters in, in Panama, no? have been choosing the, more as a logistic center yes. point of view. No? Yes, Procter uh, Gamble, Nest Phillips, a lot of big companies have put their headquarters in Panama for the same reasons as we have. Yeah, definitely, and I have been very, very late. This is quite interesting to compare that to what Costa Rica is doing, that are also centralizing a, a lot of companies there, but they are more dedicated for the for the shared services and processes versus yes. Panama that have been more from from logistic point of view, no? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. And after that, you, you move to Hong Kong. Yes, another big, big chunk from one pole to other pole. So yeah, so so that was essentially uh, uh, in those days uh, it was what we called the North Asia region, so Japan, China, Korea, and Taiwan uh, uh -huh. initially, and then one year into the job, also took over responsibility for Southeast Asia and Oceania. So we created the Asia Pacific region, uh, headquartered in Hong Kong, and that's effectively you know all of our ocean shipping activities initially that are controlled from Hong Kong. And then mm -hmm. a few years later, uh, we merged the logistics operations of Damco into the Maersk operation. So initially it was ocean shipping. And then in 2018, it became ocean and logistics. So all of the warehousing and distribution, all of the air freight, all of the LCL, custom house brokerage, supply chain management, all became under one management control based out of Hong Kong, and I did that job until August of last year. So essentially, I was there for about five years. And you can say that, according with what you're telling me, that all centralizing all the logistics, warehousing, distribution, and supply chain services. So that, that means that the Mars start with the 3PL concept and doing that in that time, in that period of, between 2015 or 2020, you can say that that's just moving. No, from no, 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 no. Okay. Uh, 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 Musk started with supply chain in 1985. 
Maersk was, uh, was invited by one of the big U.S. retailers to do yeah. origin consolidation out of Asia into the U.S. Okay. I think it is 1985 or 1990. We've been doing this for 35 years. Except okay. originally it was called Maersk Logistics, and then it okay. changed the name from Maersk Logistics to Damco, and now it changes the name back to Maersk. But we've been doing logistics for almost 40 years. Okay. So this is not new. The name has no. changed, but the activity is, uh, has been here for, for almost 40 years. Ah, okay, so all the 3PL and all the operation, warehousing, the distribution have been doing from for a long time. For a long, long time, yes, globally. Oh, globally, no, no, that's 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 great. And and you stay stayed there almost in the middle, yes, till the middle of the initial pandemic situation, no? And you move it in the middle of the pandemic situation to Panama. How, how, how did you deal with that? Yeah, so in, interesting fact, I was, on the, I was on the advisory board of the governor of Hubei province. And okay. I was in Wuhan in, in uh -huh. uh, December 2019 attending a conference organized by the governor. And then when I came back to Hong Kong later, I realized that the first case of the virus originated from Wuhan. So the very city where I was, was the first case. So just before I ask, I was not the first case. So just, uh, just to make that clear. But it was, it was a bit scary to know that I had been in the very city where, where the outbreak had started. Um, so, uh, and Asia was the first place where the, where the pandemic hit. So uh, in the beginning yeah. of 2020, sorry, in the beginning of 2019 or 2020, mm -hmm. we realized that the workers in China who go back home to their hometown every, every Chinese New Year, they could not come back to do their jobs. So yeah. uh, this, was, uh, this was the first time the pandemic hit, and then countries went on lockdown, and then the supply became a problem, and then uh, we saw that overseas demand became a problem. So for us who are running the supply chains of, of major U.S. retailers, we immediately felt the impact in terms of yeah. supply and demand in that early time. And of course, we had to adapt uh, dramatically in our, uh, in our operations. It was a currency issue because, of course, the, the yuan uh, depreciated against, uh, against the dollar. And also the supply of Chinese goods was a big problem. So I managed to, with a team, of course, I was involved in managing that until the middle of 2020. And then I was invited to take over the Latin America region for AP Miller Maersk. And I, I moved, as you say, indeed, in the middle of the pandemic, which, is a, yeah. which was a very, very uh, strange period to move because, of course, it's yeah. very difficult to travel with a family. It's very difficult to pack and unpack the container because yeah. the, the supply chains are, uh, are, are disrupted. So... This was a very strange period to move. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, I, and all the test quarantines, and maybe you should, you, you did it for, for moving from one point to point till you, you arrived to Panama, no? Correct. Uh, that, that's difficult, difficult. And, 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 and you arrived in the middle of the pandemic to, to Panama, coming back to that country and that region that you already previously know, no? As a new role as a vice president. So, which was the, the, the target, which was your challenge coming back to Panama to, to doing this part of the, of the war? Yeah, so the role I have today is a bit of a mix of different things. It's, it's a senior VP role within the group, and it's, uh, and it's in a, in a combination of being the regional head of, of Maersk, Hamburg, Sud, and Sealand. So the, the Sealand headquarters reports to me. Sealand is headquartered in, in Miami, in Florida and the, the, the headquarters reports to me. And then also I was asked to take the global chairmanship of Hamburg Sud. So the CEO of Hamburg Sud globally reports also to me. 
And that's a very interesting combination of different, uh, different tasks. But the main reason to be here is to help develop the logistics business from Maersk and Hamburg Sud and Sealand to be a top player in the, in the market. In the region, no? Yeah, mm-hmm. in the region. So today we have a growing presence. We are growing mm-hmm. exponentially, but we, we come from a, from a modest base. So we have sp- still a small presence, but we're growing very fast. And my ambition is to be a top player in the region on warehousing and distribution, on supply chain, and on, on, on custom house brokerage, et cetera, et cetera. In addition yeah. to the strong position that we have in ocean transport, and that's been very much around building the right team, uh, getting the right people on board oh. who can help uh, with that growth, and then meeting customer demands because many customers yeah. are asking us, you know, what can you do for us, particularly now in the pandemic? What can you do for us to help us with our, with our needs? And, and that's our job. So in that sense, it's, I think it's going very well in the sense that we are growing faster than I ever envisaged we would grow. So we have to change gears and go even faster. Yeah, this is what I was just about to, to ask, you know, because you, you, you are bringing all this experience from Asia Pacific, where you, you were more globally in all these services, and to coming back to, or bringing that to Latin, because Latin has been the, all the time, the baby from the point of view in the world, no? that the, looks like the, all the changes have, are, are happening later. No? So, uh, and now I think that also with the pandemic has been accelerating and changing consumer uh, patterns for doing different behaviors, different ways of buying, eating, and producing. No? So for sure that has been a big challenge for you. And, and how do you see the, the future of Latin and U, U.S. logistic industry from, from that point of view? Do you think that would be only... Logistics would be a full 3PL, 4PL, or 5PL with different services. What the, the customer or the consumer are asking is you are offering to that chain in the, in the market for the service of the company. Yeah, so, so our, our business is to, do, is to offer end, end-to-end logistics solutions, including visibility solutions. So, uh, mm-hmm. as you say, 4PL control tower solutions, physical uh, solutions uh-huh. like warehousing and distribution and, and tr- physical transport. But I see very much, I have to uh, also say that the challenges that Latin American customers face are not much different than the rest of the world. Everybody wants better visibility of the supply chain. Everybody wants faster lead mm-hmm. times to meet customer demand. Everybody wants predictability of, of demand. So, can you tell me when the shipment will be at the warehouse? Can you tell me when the customer will receive the consignment? All of those challenges are similar, whether you are in Europe or in the U.S. or, or in That's Asia fine. or in Latin America. So we are very much at the forefront of those challenges. We are enhancing our systems portfolio and our digital landscape to meet those demands. And like I said, you know, that, that is my, first of all, what I found fascinating in terms of managing, uh, helping customers with their supply chains is to help them solve those problems and to get the right people in the team to, to help me do that. And, and that's what makes the role in Latin America so exciting. Yeah, that is critical. That is critical to, to know about that and, and having also how, how to perform or to map all your needs of people and with the skill that you need. And you need to, to work with people or, or people suppliers that know about how to, to supply that skills and, and know about the supply chain. So you need to, you need to do a, a very good strategy for, for that. And, and especially... I say that after COVID, because COVID is changing the, the consumer 
pattern for, for almost for everything. The, everybody won speed. Everyone won the, the merchandise for, for yesterday. And we have a lot of barriers right now still because of all the unbalanced supply chain that we have a worldwide. So it's a, a big challenge that, that you have in front of in, the, in this moment, no? Correct. And, and like I said, the digitization of the supply chain is the most important challenge facing the industry today. You see very much that the, the modern platform organizations, they thrive on that visibility. And for us as providers, customers need us to, to deliver that same visibility. And that's what we're working hard to develop and, and to deliver to customers. Yeah, definitely. And that is critical because they are asking for a speed. They are asking for that visibility that you're saying and a more a digital work in, in terms of quick uh, documentation, arriving paperwork, and all the transaction make it easy for, for everybody in, in that process, no? That's correct. Yeah, that's fine. And that definitely is a, is a big a, a expertise, and, and MERS is a very good player in, in the field. So for sure, that will be a, a big, a great success in, in, in Latin America with the, with the things that you are trying to do. From, yeah, and, from and actually, if I take any learning from, from the experience that we are seeing, is the constant need to reinvent yourself as a business, but definitely exactly. also as a leader. What got you to where you are today is not the same yeah. as what's going to get you to where you need to go next. So the constant, the constant wish and need to reinvent yourself every single day to learn about where the business is going, what customers need next. That's the, the single biggest learning that I have, is you can never stand still. You must always enrich yes. yourself and, uh, and learn new things. Yes, you say very important statement. This is you, you need to be all the time in constant renewal of your, of your processes, of your way of thinking and the services that you can give to the customer and following all that tendencies, this is, this is critical in the, in the supply chain. Yeah? And you reminded me of all the, all the topics that we, we as Alcott Global, we are going to, to place in, in our new summit mm -hmm. in, in November, that we will be talking about that kind of things and how, how you need to be all the time in, in, the new, in the new, reinventing the wheel for all the, all the processes, so all the supply chain services, all the logistics and how you can delay for the, the, the final customer in, in that area, no? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that is very, very, very critical. And, and we have been, with all the presentation that we are preparing, and we are having a different kind of situation and perspective that are showing that kind of thing, that the one that you are telling, telling to, to our listeners. No, that's, that's great. That's great, Robert. I don't know if you want to having a great, great conversation, <laughs> having the opportunity to see you, your expertise and having in here in, in our podcast and uh, sharing with all the listeners the, your experience in, in supply chain, the real challenges that you have uh, through around the world and, and how the pandemic have been reinventing again the supply chain, digitalization and, and making the services more faster for serving the, the consumer, no? So I, I don't know if you want to, to give us a summary of what, what, what suggestion can you give or recommendation to our listeners in, if they want to work in supply chain, if they want to do 
a better jobs in supply chain? What, what, what they need to, to do? What do you think? I'll make a, a recommendation for them. So I would say three things. The first thing I would, I would say is listen to your customers. Customers have, have expectations and customers have views on how they need to be served, not just today, but also in, in, in the future. So li- listening to the true need of a customer is a skill set that you need to develop. Not everybody has it, and it's something that, that, that is, in my view, uh, crucial. The second one is what I already mentioned, is you need to be able to, to continuously reinvent yourself. If you're always playing the same tune uh, on the piano, at a certain moment, you realize that you've become obsolete. So make sure that you constantly reinvent yourself and constantly think about how your life is going to change through things like digitization, through things like e-commerce, through trends that we just see that are changing the world around us that is going to impact all of our jobs in supply chain and in logistics. And then the third one is, and I, I've learned that a lot now with, with having worked with different cultures and different, uh, different people, learn from the people around you. I've seen that now that different cultures bring different insights. Diversity brings different insights. And having worked with the different cultures around the world, I've learned so much from people around me about how I can be a better leader, but also how we can run our business better. And especially now with, with like I said, all the new colleagues we are hiring, the richness of insights coming from, uh, from people from different industries and different uh, cultures is, uh, has been truly the most exciting thing about this journey that, I, that I've been following. So those are the three things that I would, would leave the readers with. And then I would also like to say, you know, Alco Global is a, is a company I've, I've admired for years. I've worked with Radu in, in Asia. I'm working yeah. with you now here. You know, the podcast that you guys are putting out, the interviews, the summits, uh, you've been a true blessing to, uh, to many different listeners in providing uh, a lot of insights and, and richness that we would otherwise not have. So I thank you very much for this opportunity, and I thank you for the time you spent with me. Oh, that's, that's great. Robert, thank you. Thank you first for, for all these three key advisors. I mean, the listen to your customer, continue to remember yourself, and learn from the people around you. You gave three real key recommendations that this is the key of learning. So constantly reinvent yourself and, and you be in the, in the leading age. That's right. That's, and, uh, that's right. And this is what we, we like to do. This is what we like to do in Alco Global. Thank you for, for the recognition. This is why we are uh, pushing Alco Global through all Latin America and U.S. Uh, because I think that the, this expertise that we have from, from the other part of the world is, is very important to share with all our customers, people, and our general audience here in Latin America and sharing that expertise that we have in supply chain and able to, to talk as leader, leaders uh, at you, Robert. Thank you very much, Javier. Well, thank you very much, Robert, for, for being with us. And thank you for listening to our podcast, all the listeners. If you like what you hear, you must go to www.alcoglobal.com and click on the bottom of the podcast to see all the programs and notes. You can also subscribe to the mailing list to receive all the updates and news. You can share with your friends and also follow us in LinkedIn. If you are looking for hiring senior supply chain people, executives in your business, in Latin, USA, Spain, worldwide, whatever you want, just please call us and, and let's talk about it. We can help you.